So I'm not saying that, you know, I'm going to, you know, conquer the world because I have that kind of talent, but I just know that the work I have to do, the only shot I even have is to put in the work and the other stuff will take care, of itself, uh, take care of itself. And then I'll find out where I do land. And if that's at the bottom of the barrel, the top of the barrel, the middle of the barrel, it doesn't matter. I, I did the best I could. And that's all I could do. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here at the lovely Capitol Grill Study Center with Ryan Ray, Director of Operations at Arts Square Global. Before we get into it, I wanted to remind everybody, just if you want to support the show, go ahead and leave me a review in iTunes. Actually, you did that, Ryan. Yes, I did. And thank you very much. I did. I appreciate that. Well, it was worth it. You're worth it. It was uh, worth five stars. Is it I would have given it six, but they didn't give me that option. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you're silly. Anyway, so before we dive deeper into your current role, uh, let's discuss how you began in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. And first, I just want to say, you know, I was excited about coming on the show. So thank you for having me. But to be honest with you, I did not expect the green room with the massage, the dry cleaning, all of that stuff. This is really top of the line. Kudos to Oil and Gas Global Network. Kudos to Capital Grill. Oh, this is all me. This is all me. Kudos to Paige. I mean, (laughs) whomever gets the credit, it's, I mean, this is like Bloomberg type, you know, prepared stuff that you come for. So this is, this is the big leagues and I'm I'm honored to be here today. Well, thank you for being on. And uh, I mean, that's how I treat all of my guests. So, you know. The autograph gift bag was really put it over the top for me. (laughs) You're welcome. So uh, how did I get here? I'm sorry. Yeah. So yeah. where'd you start in the industry? So from about sixth, seventh grade on, I knew I wasn't going to be big enough to play football, but I love football um, because we were around Division One athletes. And if you're around Division One athletes long enough, you realize how big, how big they get. Mm-hmm. And I knew my dad, I knew my grandfather, my uncles, you know, I wasn't going to get that big and I wasn't fast. And so I want to be a coach and went through junior high, high school. Started college, wanted to be a coach, and I got a job at a little small school at like 18, 19 as a head coach at a little private school. Football. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they fired me like four months later. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do with parents, administrators. I might have had a little bit of an ego problem, you know, head coach at 19, you know, mm-hmm. might, might, might have. And so I come to my dad. I'm like, hey, I don't want to go to school anymore because I don't want to be a coach. I don't want to do. He's like, well, you can come and work for me. Uh, who, you know, my dad owns a company I work for. And uh, just out in the field as a Rodman. That's kind of the entry-level field position. And uh, As a as a Rockman? Rodman. Rodman. Rodman, yeah. What, ex- exactly Yeah, what so on a survey crew, the Rodman is kind of the guy. If you see him out there, he's kind of holding the pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit old school, but um, yeah. we don't do that as much with uh, GPS now. But um, the guy who's going to you know cut the brush or carry the equipment around, whatever, he's kind of the, you know, it's the bottom of the barrel, entry-level position, and you got to have those guys. But that's where I started out at, and um, that was back in... 2005. And so, um, been here ever since. So what all have you gone through to get up to? Yeah. So essentially what happened was I started as a Robin and during that time we had landed a really big project and we weren't working on that project. The crew that I was on, we were working on other projects and they brought us on that project. And, uh, 
Um, the project goes in phases, as you know. And so right. we're getting ready to go to construction phase, as built. And dad's like, hey, you know, we need some crew chiefs. You know, you've been in the field. Why don't you just run one of these, one of these crews? And so I said, okay, we did that. And then that ended. And we got a call from an old client about some work in the Barnett mm-hmm. from Chesapeake. And so I went over there. I was kind of started running a few crews. And I got married. And we're living in DFW. And my wife gets pregnant. And we're like, you know, do we want to move back? We want to live in DFW. You know, what we want to do? And I go talk to my dad. I'm like, hey, I'm not really sure what I want to do here. I don't know if I'll... I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this or, or what. He's like, well, you know, I, I'm ready to kind of hang it up. If you want to take over the company, here you go. Here's oh. kind of your chance to kind of start running things. And so I was about 21, 22. And within six months later, you know, we were on a really huge project for uh, Chesapeake and Haynesville and kind of baptism by fire, you know, just really kind of that's when the Haynesville shell just really took off. And so, yeah. we were, you know, our home office is in Monroe, Louisiana. And so, um, you know, did a lot of work over there. Uh, we, you know, we've worked over all over the, 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 you know, the big shell plays now, the Eagleford, the Permian, you know, um, the Bakken. And so, and just um, in Texas, well, no, no, no. So just, yeah. just, or just throughout the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with the Haynesville, the Eagleford, the Bakken, uh, which is North Dakota, uh, Permian, mm-hmm. a little bit of Oklahoma. I don't think as far as the U S stuff that since I've been with the company, uh, we have an office in Alabama now. So we do some stuff in Alabama. That's not really oil and gas related though. Mississippi. So, you know, the South and then obviously. So you've really expanded since and. Yeah. You know, I mean, before I came on, the company had worked in, my dad was licensed as a surveyor in um, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And so he always worked in those states. And then I think at various times they did projects in other states. They brought on some help for, for those things. And so um, they'd worked in other areas then too but yeah we've, we've expanded we offer new services now and things like that but you know we're just kind of built upon the foundation he laid okay yeah that's uh that's pretty neat don't hear that too often where and and you and i are, are about the same age and just for audience sake y'all don't know how old i am but anyway we won't say who's younger <laughs> you better not <laughs> that didn't give it away at all <laughs> so what are some of the the bigger challenges, you know, going through and kind of keeping your dad's legacy going. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things, you know, so first off, you always, at least for me, I always feel like people look at me as if I was given this opportunity because I'm my dad's son. Mm -hmm. And that's true on some level. I mean, obviously he probably wouldn't have taken anyone and said, Hey, here's a chance to kind of run the company, you know, give it a shot. So that's true. Mm -hmm. But I've also had to prove myself through that. Right. And so even though I've been running the company day to day for, you know, I think it's like 10 years now, I still feel that kind of desire to prove that I am capable of doing this task. And right. so, so I, th- I think that's it. That's the kind of biggest thing. The other thing is, you know, in the oil and gas business, you know, you can know a lot of people, but you don't know that many people because it's so big. Yeah. You know, you got upstream, midstream, downstream, international, um, offshore, onshore. And so for us, you know, we've always... Um, try to figure out how to position ourselves as a company that is you know, capable of doing the work. We're not a mom and pop operation. We're not someone like a Universal Pegasus or a Mustang, obviously, but, but we're also not, you know, two guys working at the back of the house either. Right. And so, you know, trying to go, you come to downtown Houston, you see these big high rises, you know, um, you're trying to learn the, that lingo because you have the field lingo, but you got to learn the, you know, kind of the, the office, da- the office lingo. And so those I think would be kind of the two biggest challenges that, that I face personally. Okay. Give me one of your best stories from... Well, <laughs> what's the rating on this podcast? <laughs> G. G, okay. No, not really. Not really. Not really. <laughs> Maybe PG-13. PG-13. Uh, PG. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What kind of story do you want? I've got a lot of stories. It just depends on what you're Give looking for. Give me a funny for. one. Okay. 
Let me think here. You kind of put me on the spot with this. A funny story. Okay, I, I, I've got one. So back when I was a Rodman, we're staying at this hotel, and you know you're getting per diem, and the per diem back then was like eighty dollars a day. Mm-hmm. So you're you're staying at um, not exactly the Ritz Carlton, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And the, the hotel we stayed at was kind of like a little horseshoe shape, a squared out horseshoe. And so I'm out there and I'm talking on the phone because the cell phone service wasn't very good in the, in the area we're staying in. So I'm outside talking on the phone and the people next to me, they pull up and it's a, you know, I don't know if it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever, but you know, a couple mm-hmm. and they pull up and they get out and I'm on the phone. And so their, their room's next to me and they walk in and the guy, you can tell he's mad when he gets out the car. And he walks in and he slams the door open. This is the old key type thing, no no cards. And he walks around the bed and he punches the bathroom door. Wham! And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going in right now. You know, I don't, I don't want to be involved with this. So I go inside and I call uh, the crew chief. I said, hey, man, I want to come to your room and stand outside and see what's going on here. I'm, I'm right here in the, you know, the firing line. I don't want to be a part of this, but I do want to watch. And so he comes out. So I walk over there and this guy goes through the process of making three to four trips where he would, you know, open the door and just throw stuff out. Um, like he is just angry, just mad. And he's throwing her stuff out or his stuff out or whatever. And then he gets to the end and he goes in and it's like a, like a calm came over him. And uh, he goes in, he grabs his fishing gear very calmly and goes, opens the Bronco back hatch and he sets it in there. And then he kind of like makes three or four loops around the parking lot and leaves. And so we're like, oh, that was kind of weird. About this time, the owner of the establishment walks across the parking lot. Now, he's in his white boxers and his white T-shirt and his flip-flops. And this is probably 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. And uh, we're, we're expecting he's called the cops, you know, and all this. And he, he walks up to us and he goes, uh, hey. We go, yeah. He goes, they are uh, they, uh, duking it out? Like, And we go, yeah. He goes, okay. And he turns and walks back to the hotel, never said a word. <laughs> We wake up the next morning, the Broncos back. They had all kind of kissed and made up, and nothing was ever said about it again. Whoa. <laughs> it was, I mean, I expected this guy to come like, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, we could see shots fired, you know, bats yeah. beating up cars. And he's like, nah, okay. Okay, bye. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, well, I guess that's it for us for tonight. And I'm sure it's not the worst <laughs> thing he's ever seen. He's probably, anything broken? Man, yeah. Well, no, I'll no. deal with it later. <laughs> There was the, the there was one part where they because um, the next morning we got out and there's you know stuff in the parking lot but there's one part they had one of those old, old school tents that you pull the little plastic pegs you yeah. know and he took it and he wham he hit it against the the Bronco and all those little pegs went ding, 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 all across the parking lot so they were spread out it was you know when you're on the road as you've been and other you know the listeners have been you you see things like that and it's just one of those stories that I don't know if it's it's funny to anyone else but it was definitely. Um, it was definitely funny for us. Yeah, especially in the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're yeah. just kind of stunned, like, is this really happening? Yeah, and you're, again, you're expecting the cops to be called, you know, some order of civility to be restored. Right. i got to sleep next door to these people. Nah, you know, he he was cool with whatever happened, I guess. <laughs> and for 37 bucks a night, I mean, I guess, you know. Well, yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> that, that was a, an expensive show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a cheap room, but an expensive, expensive show. Expensive show, that's right. <laughs> So let's let's talk about what you're doing now. You've got a lot more going on than just what you do for R squared. So let's uh, let's jump into that. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, on some level, everything's connected. Um, but you know, I have a couple podcasts that I host. Uh, one that you've been on, mm-hmm. and actually, I, I've got to ask because I've dubbed you the podcast Energy Podcast Rookie of the Year on one of my shows. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that or not. It's been about a year ago. Yeah. Um, did you get the award? Did you get the big statue, the cash prize, and the car? No. 
Okay, we'll we'll work on that later because um because uh that was on the Global Energy Leaders podcast episode whatever, I dubbed, I dubbed you the podcast energy energy podcast rookie of the year. So well, I'm, I appreciate I'm, that. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. That I you, just want to know where my trophy is. Yeah, it sh- it should be any day, any oh, day. It's in the mail. It's right? in the, it's. <laughs> I put it in the mail about a year ago. I don't know what happened to it. I hope you got insurance, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I started a show called the Global Engineers Podcast, and you know I dabbled with international stuff, and that was mm-hmm. kind of part of the the logic behind that was for me to be able to talk to people, you know, from around the world about energy and and not just specific to oil and gas. No, energy in general. Yeah. yeah. So we had on folks from nuclear, oil and gas, Mark LaCour came on, you came on, you know, hydro, you know, solar. Only people we don't, I don't think we ever had on was wind. And that went on purpose. It just, we just, for whatever reason. Well, um, Texas owns that anyway. So. It, exactly. It was nice though, because we talked to people from like MIT to Wall Street Journal to, you know, heads of state. And so we, we had some, you know, people in China. So it was a very good experience just, just to kind of learn about how people think about energy from a global perspective. One of the things I learned from that show was that no matter what side of the the political spectrum you come on, left, right, middle. Mm-hmm. Most energy professionals, we're concerned about getting people energy. And so we might not agree with the government's involvement or things like that, but we really are concerned about, hey, these people don't have energy. How do we get it to them? And I think there's some common ground as energy professionals that we need to think about. You know, how do we get people energy? In the U.S., we have energy all the time. We don't think about it. But in Africa, South America, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have access always to clean energy like we do, uh, or cheap energy, rather. And so I think there's a lot of common ground that I learned from that podcast, speaking with people from all walks of life. In that time, I started the Texas Oil Gas podcast, which obviously is about Texas Oil Gas. No shock there. And since then, we've started the Energy Week podcast, which is more of kind of a geopolitical type deal. We talk about U.S. and foreign affairs. Uh-huh. And then we have the Oil and Gas Market Recap, which is more of a, a finance type show. We talk about you know what's going on from the market standpoint. And then I do a live stream, six Try to do six days a week on Instagram, Matt Texel Gas Podcast. And so I stay busy. I'm still trying to figure out Instagram. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. People yeah. are showing up. So I'm just like, okay, that's, that's, that's cool. great. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And so, you know, so I, I've done that. I've done a little bit of speaking internationally. Um, I presented to South Africa uh, various a couple times down there, been to a couple African nations, met with some heads of states about business and stuff like that, Mexico as well. You know, so I always try to be opportunistic. And so um, I don't know if that answered the question or not, but that's kind of. What's going on, or what has been going well, on? Well, then, 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 uh, also, you're up for an award in Oklahoma. Yes, I am up for an award. You know, and I, I'm still torn about this page. Maybe you can help me out here. Okay. You're, you're very smart. It's called One to Watch. Now, mm-hmm. when I was in school, my 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 my, uh, my, par- my parents got told, "Hey, watch that kid a lot." You know, and so <laughs> I don't. I can see your concern. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not really sure if they're like, "Hey, you know, professionals, watch this guy. You know, he's kind of shady." Or, or it could be, hey, this person's someone to kind of watch and follow. I'm not really sure where it's going with that. Uh-huh. It could be fifty-fifty. And and who's presenting the? Award? It is at the Pipeline and Energy Expo. It's a, it's, it's I'm, I'm guessing they call it the Pexy Award, P-E-X-Y, and it's Thursday, April fifth in Tulsa. So I don't know when this podcast will come out, but either before or after that. And it is part of the Pipeline Energy Expo, and I think it's the first year they're doing the awards. I didn't even know I was up for it. You know, I didn't self-nominate no. or anything like that. I just kind of found I out. I think I've heard of it before, but it's fairly new. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe second year. I'm not. I'm not sure. And so I'm very honored. You know, obviously, you know, someone like me doesn't expect to win awards for one to watch or, or things like that. Or rookie um, of the year. You know, whatever. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't win rookie of the year. I, you won that. I know, but. I mean, I know. No that one was just a bad joke. Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't even get nominated. So I was hoping Mark would have nominated me for a year, but he didn't. So I just passed the baton on to you to skip me. Just kind of was the, 
placeholder. Appreciate it. But you know, it's it's very it's very humbling because you know you you, you know I, I do I, I work in the industry and so you know you just you don't look at I'm not at a startup I'm not trying to change some kind of drilling technique that will increase efficiency by fifty percent I'm just just working and talking and so you know it, it you don't consider yourself to be one to watch so it's an honor to, for someone to say hey and then for to be a nominee to be a nominee is one thing but then to be a finalist. You know, it means that some other group of people said, "Yeah, we've looked at the candidates, and this person's were uh, as a finalist." And that that's very, uh, it's very, it's, it's very so humbling. So, who are you up against? Any they haven't idea? they haven't told me. Oh, okay. They so it's kind of like surprise. It is like surprise. Oh, it is like surprise. Well, that should be interesting. It, it, it should be. It should be. And you know, I'm not saying I would have badmouthed the person if I would have known. Right. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'd, I'd have pumped him up. But I would. Right. But but you know, it'd been nice to know. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'd like to know who you're up against. If it's like the Incredible Hulk, well, I well, know. Well, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm incredibly competitive. So I, I, <laughs> I, I understand. I understand completely. And it kind of, it would probably bother me if I didn't know. Yeah. You know, so I actually, you know, in full disclosure, I reached out to him and said, hey, we'd love to have the other finalists for any of the categories on the shows. If, if it fits one of our show demographics, um, they can come on, they can talk about it, you know, just to promote the conference. Because, yeah. you know, again, it's one of those things where you're looking at it going, you know, win, lose, draw, it doesn't really matter to me. You know, um, if, there, if there's someone else there, someone else is out there that's one to watch, um, I'd like to know who that is because I want to watch what they're doing. Yeah. Because someone else, again, someone else nominated them and the group of a panel has determined them as a finalist. So I want to know who this person is as well. So hopefully after the conference, we'll be able to get some of the finalists to come on the show and talk about what they're doing and, you know, kind of that process. There's other awards to have too, but that's the category that I'm in. Okay. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Yeah, that's a great question. I like to talk about self-awareness a lot. I'm going to give you two pieces of advice, I think, but sorry. But, but no, that's fine. First off, self-awareness. So I don't consider myself a specialist or a technician or things like that. I'm not. Those people are very important. We need them. It's just not me. Right. And I always like to say this. If tomorrow my boss, which would be my father, called and said, hey, you've got to handle the paperwork for R-Square Global moving forward, for about two weeks it would be as good as it could be. Two weeks in a day, it would just be a complete train wreck. I, I just don't have, I'm not geared for that type of work. So I know that I don't want to put myself in positions to fail. And, right. and, and there, there's someone who is, who can do the job very well. And I want to find that person and let them do that because that person's important. They're valuable. We need them. It's just not me. I'm not good at that. Right. And, and early on in your career, it's kind of hard to figure out. What you, what you think you're good at, you know, you find, yeah. I think I'm good at this stuff, and, and then you're not. And acknowledging that, there's nothing wrong with it. Just just don't put yourself in a bad position. And the second thing is, one of the things we pride ourselves on is this kind of mentality, use a boxing analogy to answer the bell. You know, late in the fight, the fighters are hurt. You know, who's going to stand up? And, and we like to answer the bell. And, you know, some companies, their culture, you know, our culture isn't perfect, our company's not perfect, but that's one, that's one of the things we kind of hang our hats on is that if a client calls at 5 o'clock and says, I need this, well, guess what? We've canceled our plans. We're about to get it done. And you can separate yourself in the yeah. industry by being someone who's willing to answer the bell. And it doesn't mean that, that it, okay, my job description is X and what they're asking for is Y. I can't do that. No, we, you know, whatever. If you need something done, let me be someone who can help you wherever it is. I always tell my project managers, if a client calls up and wants to talk about the, the stock price at McDonald's, have that conversation with them, <laughs> you know, because... Right. They're calling us, you know, and so we want to have that culture where we say, hey, how can we, you know, answer the client's needs the best we can? And, you know, obviously that's a balance. But, um, you know, the younger generation, 
sometimes they don't understand the need to answer the bell. I think, and and I'm part of I'm part of that generation. So I'm not saying like, hey, look at I'm you know old man looking well, down. Well, we're kind of splitsies on that, right? So, we're, so we're, Gen Xers and mil- millennials. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, I know plenty of people who who are my age, younger, older, and they're kind of like, ah, you know, nine to five. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not I'm not saying that, but it goes back to self awareness. If you want to climb the ladder, you want to do things that you think are important. You have to answer the bell. Right. But you have to know what you're good at to kind of go through that process of answering the bell. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I like that. Answer the bell. I've never heard that before. It's an old boxing saying. I never took boxing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm boxing. I've been in my, in yeah. my tiffs, but. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you answered the bell. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy, did I. What book influenced you the most? Yeah, the most influential business book, and it's not that great of a business book, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a book that if you're someone like me who's kind of a dreamer, pie-in-the-sky guy, you know, depending on where you grew up in the world, you might think that some things aren't possible. But that book kind of lays out the mentality that on some level I've already had, but kind of affirmed it. And kind of seeing it put into writing was very inspiring to me. Now, I wouldn't go if you're if you got an MBA, you know, and you're really business savvy. It's not it's not the book for you. But if you're someone who goes, you know, you know, are business things possible? Are ideas possible? How would you think about business and executing on ideas from a very 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 basic concept? It's good for that because it does it sounds kinda, very logical. It's logical. And it's a, it's a storybook. You know, it's about this guy and his real dad who worked at a government job and was never very inspirational. He was very content, and there's not, nothing wrong with that, but he didn't want that. And his rich dad was uh, his friend's neighbor's dad or whatever. And he kind of saw how they did things, and he was kind of comparing the two back and forth, and he wanted the lifestyle of the of his buddy's dad. And so he was kind of comparing back and forth, you know, you know how his rich rich dad would think about it and how his real dad would think about it. And so it kind of goes back to self-awareness. I don't want to be— Put things into perspective. Yeah, and, and, and again, I think this is important— Everyone has a job, and those jobs are all important. We've got to have people who do things. We've got to have people who pick up the trash. That's a very, very important job for our society. Yeah. We don't think about it like that because you go, oh, the trash pickup on Tuesday, whatever. But that's a very important job. So I'm not trying to be disparaging on the, the poor dad in the book. But for me, the rich dad is kind of more the mindset, I thought. I mean, kind of opened my eyes to, yeah, there's other people who think like this. You know, I'm not the only one. I'm not, I'm not crazy thinking of these kinds of right. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Oh, and speaking of books, don't you have a book coming out? That you, you're co-authoring? Yeah, I am co-authoring a book. Thank you for that. And we are working on I've got a few books, but um, that is the nearest release date, and it is on oil and gas careers. And so we sent it to the Energy Podcast Rookie of the Year to get her comments on. And so um, <laughs> we're curious. We're, we're hanging on every word that she says. And so if the book's bad— I've got bad, my red pen back yeah. out and ready to go. So if you don't like the book, blame Paige. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Alfonso Colombano, my co-host for the Oil and Gas Market Recap, and uh, myself, we are working on that book. It's close. I say close. It's from where we started to where we're at. It's close. We're, we're probably another month or two out. And then I have uh, a book on nuclear and a book on solar in the works as well. But those are probably uh, later in the year. Whoa, big time. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to catch up to you, Paige. Well, I'm not an author yet, but yet. Yet. I, I caught that. I, yeah. I caught that. I caught that. So I got Very to like subtle. 15 more books to, to stay ahead of you. <laughs> Uh, no, you're doing great. What is your most used business tool? 
Yeah, it, it, yeah, I'll tell you off, I know you're going to ask me this, and I don't have a good answer except for the tool that I need at the time. You know, I use Evernote. I'm, I'm thinking about switching to Google Keep, but I use email. I use, I have Mighty Text. So I can text from my computer. You know, I have all kinds of things. You know, if I'm podcasting, I have tools for that. It's the tool that I need at the time, and I spend a lot of time trying to figure out which tool do I need at the time. Uh-huh. You know, we're in the, we do podcasts. Well, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out because I'm not a great, I'm not a great technician. And I edit my own podcast. Well, that's so, you and me both, buddy. Oh, okay, but I mean, okay. So this is yeah, this is yeah. practical. I'm not a great technician, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the best podcast editor. And I edit my own podcast, so I need to find the best podcast software that makes the process extremely simple for me. And so I spend a lot, I'd much rather spend the time researching what tool is that. And currently, we're using you know a couple of tools that we like, and you know as long as they're simple, we'll keep using them. But if it becomes complicated, then I, I've got to move on because that's that's not my task. I go watch these guys on YouTube. They're like, oh man, here's the 47 settings you can change and all this stuff. And I'm well, like, not only that, you have to understand the lingo, the lingo. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm jealous of them in some level because, you know, they have the, the ability and the desire to go learn software at that language. I just don't. So I just try to find the tool that's the most helpful. And I, I depend on other people to tell me what that is because I'm not going to go research it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to start from scratch and say, open up um, this text app and compare it to this text app. I'm going to go watch someone else tell me the top five, and then I'm going to figure out which one I like. So it just depends on what I'm doing. I don't. That's not the best answer, but it's it's the answer that I have, and it just depends on what I'm what I'm doing. And because I don't have one app that does it all, unfortunately, my phone would be the only thing that does it the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty relevant. And it's funny how I just started using Apple products, and so everything kind of mixes. But I understand because I had Android, and I I used. Yeah, Windows mm-hmm. PC, and it's uh, I kind of like being a geek and trying to figure all that stuff out. So I, I kind of have a different perspective on that. Yeah, I've no. beta tested a lot of stuff. Well, good. Y'all can start emailing you questions <laughs> moving forward. Actually, I've got all kinds of stuff for you, so we'll have to talk off the mic about that. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? Clint Gregg, hands down. Yeah. Yeah, hands down. Who's cool. that? Clint Gregg is a guy that I knew back um, in the Chesapeake days. I met him. He's worked for a competitor then, and um, we were really competitors. We were on the same project. We weren't competing for projects. You know, they had their stuff. We had our stuff. But, I mean, if we messed up, obviously they, would, they got some more work. And, you know, he was someone that I wanted to hire at the time. And when he left that company, he went somewhere else, and I didn't get to hire him. And he is, in my opinion, you know, the my nemesis. It, it, we're, we're really good friends. I'm not talking bad about him. We're, yeah. You know, I was texting him this morning coming down here, actually. Friend of me? Yeah, friend of me. But he is, you know, uh, so the people at the company that are listening to him, he works for. You know, you, you got a special guy right there. He is he's a go-getter. He, you know, he knows his stuff. He knows, you know, he was very early on, you know, when I was younger, I didn't understand the balance of um, professionalism versus, you know, kind of coming from the field. And he understood that balance far better than I did. He kind of mocked me over how I would do certain things. And, you know, he, he taught me a lot because I realized, okay, hey, um, I need to listen to what this guy's saying. And he'd come in with his sweater vest and his tie and look like a total dork. But, but I was in my ball cap and my fishing shirt, my jeans. I wasn't going to go sweater vest, but I, I was like, okay, I probably need to step it up a step notch. it up a notch because I come from the field, so for me that was what you just wore, you know. And so I had to, okay, I probably need to step it up just a little bit. And so um, no, he is, you know, he works for one of our competitors now, and um, you know he's, you know he's the one that got away. It sounds like he's, yeah, it's. <laughs> we can go on about this. This is a this this cuts deep right here. So Clint, I hope you're listening. It's almost a bromance. It, it's it's a lot of bromance on my side. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> What's your most important lesson learned? So my most important lesson learned, I think, would be that, you know, it's hard work. 
And a lot of people talk about hard work and doing hard work, but not a lot of people actually do hard work. Like I know a lot of people are like, man, I work hard. And I'm like, oh yeah, what do you do? I'm, I'm genuinely curious because you asked the question about the, about the best app, the best tool. Well, they may have some insight here for me. They may know something. What do you do? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I go nine to five, Monday through Friday. It's like, oh, oh okay. I'm not saying you can't work hard nine to five, Monday through Friday, but I work nine to five, Monday through Friday, nine to 11 at night, Monday through Friday. And I work on Saturday and I work on Sunday. And there's people out there who work, you know, 14 days on and off. And so, you know, there's a lot of talk about hard work, but actually being someone who works hard, that's a, that's a different story. And so I would be very very cautious about thinking that you're working hard and i don't think compared to my wife my wife's the hardest worker i know so she homeschools our three kids well our youngest one didn't homeschool she's uh two she homeschools our two older kids and she has a two-year-old running around the house she's on call 24 7 365 and so you know she works a thousand times harder than i ever think about working hard so when i think it's hard and it's tough i look at her and go, okay that's hard work. And so, but, but early on in the business, there's a lot of talk about, you know, we work hard and stuff like that. And people do. I'm just saying that there's more levels to hard work than maybe I first thought there was. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older, I, I've realized that there, there are some people, we have people who work for us that I want to give, I'm not going to name them specifically, but they don't know who they are, that they were pregnant. It was 2 a.m. And we had a deadline that if we didn't meet, we would have been fired. Pregnant women at 2 a.m. working that, that ain't way. nobody to mess with. They ain't nobody to mess with, but they, they answer the bell. They work hard. And so, but I know a lot of people who say they work hard and you actually, you know, actually audit what they're doing. And in their mind, they're working hard. That's that's fine. But for me, learning to distinguish between what I thought was hard work, and I'm talking hard as far as you're going long hours, you're putting in the time, compared to what some people thought was hard work, that was a very long lesson because, you know, there, there's no definition of what hard work is. How'd you learn that lesson? Sleeping at the office. Really? Yeah, sleeping at the office. You know, I've slept at the office a couple of times. I'm not. I'm not I've I'm thought not, about it. Yeah, so I'm not. I'm not bragging about it. There, again, I'm not. I'm not saying the hardest work. In no, the world. no, no, no. That's not, that's I, I'm saying that for more conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. But I'm saying that. I'm, I'm, so I'm not bragging. I'm not trying. To, there's people who work harder than me. My wife works harder than me. So anyone. So I've got one person right there. I can say works harder than me. But you know, early on, it was, hey, I'm going to show up. I'm going to tell everyone these four tips to make their projects run better, and then I'm going to go play golf. Huh? Yeah. Okay. That wasn't. You know, I was working hard. And then you had problems. You got to solve problems. Well, then you got more problems. And then you just kind of go through this mentality of what, what working hard is. And, you know, right now there's a lot of stuff out there. And, again, I'm not against it about, like, the four-hour work week and things like that. And, hey, if you can work for 20, 15 hours a week, make your income, that's fine. But for me, it just had never been that way. It's always been, you know, I have to work hard. I run my dad's company. I, I feel like I'm being viewed as you know, the guy with the spoon in his mouth or um, we work for a small company, so we can't do what the big companies do. And so for me, it's kind of get this mentality of, you know, how do we differentiate ourselves? We have to work harder than our competitors. Well, how hard are they working? And you don't know that because they don't, they're not, you know, Clint Gregg ain't let me into their office and let me see, right? Right. So you have to, you have to just kind of trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, and you try to get better. You don't want to just work hard just to work hard. But I think that that, that ability to grind day in, day out, five, six, seven days a week, uh, you know, nonstop. I think that is a lesson that's very hard for me to learn because I didn't, I wasn't like that as a, as a high school. My dad, if he listens, you know, he can attest. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I didn't like going out and doing stuff like that um, in high school. So it's a very hard lesson to learn. And now the problem is, is do I work too much? You know, <laughs> because, yeah. because then once you realize what the top level is doing, yeah. then you have to decide, is it worth it? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I mean, you know, there, there's some folks like, uh, you know, some executives that I'm aware of, you know, and they're working, you know, 19, 20 hours some days. 
five, six days in a row. And it's like, I, I don't want it that bad. But, but that, that's kind of the spectrum. Yeah. I didn't even know that existed at one point in my life. You know, once you become aware of that, then you go, okay, oh, that's, okay, so I want to work. You that's know, a different animal. That, that's a different animal. I like nine to five. I like nine to 11 at night. I like that. Maybe 12 if I have to. That's fine. I'm not opposed to that. But, but you know, you don't even know that it exists. Sometimes, you, you know, when I was early on, it was, you know, nine to five. Let's get in. Let's work hard during that time period. Let's get out. And that's it. But, I'm, I, again, I kind of that reached that port, I think. Because we, I guess, being as I also started at the bottom and had to work my way to where I, I am now. Yeah, you don't know that it exists because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we both were raised in a manner or, or, or taught to see that you're just supposed to have a job. Yeah. So n- there's no detail about the hard work you have to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to become successful. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think on that, it kind of goes back to that, that book, The Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, there was the guy who won the government job, which was the nine to five. Monday through Friday. And there's nothing wrong with that. For me, I'm trying to work in South Africa. I'm trying to do other stuff. And to do that, you just can't squeeze it in nine to five. Right. You got to be willing to stay up and, 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 and do the different things. So it's not for everyone. And I'm not saying I'm the best. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not, not trying to give myself an attaboy here. I'm just saying that for me to have a shot, this is what I have to do. And if I'm successful, that's great. If it's not, um, I tell my son this all the time, you know, you can only do the best. You know, I, no matter how hard I try, I will not be Michael Jordan. Okay. I don't even crack six feet unless on some wonky scale. So I'm like 5'11. I'm pushing closer to 300 than 200. And so if I tried my best today, I would never be Michael Jordan. So effort on that level, you know, it doesn't matter. There's there's skill, there's, you know, physique in that that case. So I'm not saying that, you know, I'm going to, you know, conquer the world because I have that kind of talent, but I just know that the work I have to do, the only shot I even have is to put in the work. And then the other stuff will take care, of scale, uh, take care of itself. And then I'll find out where I do land. And if that's at the bottom of the barrel, the top of the barrel, the middle of the barrel, it doesn't matter. I, I did the best I could. And that's all I could do. Yeah. Yeah. That should at least be somewhat satisfying to an extent. But yeah, no, knowing that you did your best, that's incredibly important. And that goes back to the self-awareness. It goes back to self-awareness. And it goes back to understanding you know, about that hard work because you can think you're doing your best, but you're really not. Right. You know, I, for like five years in a row, I put down 70 books a year. Reading wow. 70, yeah, I was reading 70 books a year. Last year, I didn't because it was just so much work. I only did like 30 or 40. But, you know, I, there was a time in my life where reading books wasn't even in consideration. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, I don't know anything about business. I mean, I got these ideas, but I need to read business books. I need to read marketing books, sales books. Well, then you start reading that, and the more you read, then the more you realize you don't know. And so it's this constant, it's this constant thing of trying to learn and to grow and to understand. And it, it's... You know, again, it kind of goes you know, self-awareness and all these other things we talked about. It, it kind of, for me, it's very clear. I'm trying to explain it's a little bit more difficult because you're trying to pick apart the pieces, and, and to me, it's kind of one cohesive unit. Right. Yeah, I like that. So here's a loaded question: What's your favorite podcast besides this one? <laughs> Somehow I knew you were gonna. <laughs> <laughs> yes, besides this one, please. <laughs> then besides the Texas full gas, don't even, uh, I can yeah, even, no, 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 you know, so my favorite podcast, I, I don't currently listen to podcasts and here's why. I uh, think I might know, but so, so first off, you know, if you, you know, I, I really like Mark LaCour who I met, that's how I met used to him. So I don't listen to Mark's stuff for one reason and one reason only. We say some of the same things because we think alike, right? Right. And so I don't want to listen to Mark's stuff. And then someone says, Hey, you're saying the same thing Mark is. I, I want to be oblivious to what Mark says because I want to have my own ideas. And then if they happen to overlap, 
then that's full. You know, it just it, just, it worked out that way. There's no yeah. there's no stealing going on. And so mm-hmm. first off, listen to Oil and Gas this week. Mark Lacour is the best in the business. So let me plug it there. So I don't listen to any other industry podcast because I don't want to. First off, I do six shows a week live, and I do three other podcasts. And it's very hard for me to remember what I say on those shows, much less what I've heard anywhere else. Yeah. So I try to make sure, even if I'm wrong, at least it was my it was my wrongness. Because I, I, I it's hard to keep up with what I'm saying, what I'm yeah. saying, it, and who to credit. So I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts from that standpoint. I used to when I traveled from Louisiana more. Mm-hmm. I used to listen to more podcasts. Right now, I'm probably more audiobooks, a little bit more longer for content. So I will say what got me into podcasting, though, was Oil and Gas This Week. Yeah. Oh, me too. That's what you I mean, because I, I was wanting to do it, and there wasn't a show out there, and then all, lo and behold, here comes Mark's Oil and Gas this week, and so I used to consume them suckers. Oh, yeah, we all did. Yeah, like the well, style. Well, I, I still do, but Right, yeah. and so, so, you know, that was a, a hugely influential one. Um, another one would be Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast, whatever it's called. I don't know. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask Gary V Show, maybe. Yep. So there was a time when it, it, it's very seasonal for me. So right now I'm just trying to keep my head above water. <laughs> you know, I need the news. That's what's a going lot, on? Yeah, right. that's a lot of editing and. Yeah, I just need. To, yeah, I got to. You know, what's the news? What's going on? You know, and I got other stuff I'm working on. So I don't have time to just to sit and devour podcasts like I used to. But you know, before I had a podcast, I listened to Marks. I don't really like a lot of the formal stuff. You know, because it's just a little bit too rigid for me. Nothing wrong with it. Just not my style. Uh, if I'm in a marketing and sales mood, I need advice. You know, I'll turn on you know Gary Vaynerchuk or whoever the top marketing guy is of the other day, and I'll you know I'll knock out 30 podcasts and make sure I'm not off my rocker and um, yeah. on what I'm thinking, and kind of get a little correction, a little tune up. And say, okay, so it just it's very seasonal for me. But you know, one guest this week again, I can't I can't speak highly enough of that show because it's it's you know when I wanted to do the Global Industries podcast. You know, I, I couldn't do it because there was no other show. There was, you know, I, I didn't, that wasn't the title at the time, but that that show, I didn't, I, I couldn't. I went to my dad's like, hey, I want to do the show. I want to take this time, you know, to build these resources. Like, is there anything else out there? I was like, no, <laughs> you know. And then lo and behold, you know, a year later, whatever it was, six months later, I don't even know. Whenever it was, Mark came on. And Mark's show, I, I've looked back at the time, I think his show may have been out there, but I couldn't find it, or it had been the very early on. But then once the show came on, then you had uh, James Gordy who had his show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's the Young Professional. It was the Young, young Professional show. Yeah. And so you kind of had all of a sudden, boom! At least in iTunes, you're able to find these shows. And then it was like, okay, hey. And then I was able to meet with Mark, and then I was able to get my thing going. So yeah, so it, it really depends on the season I'm in. And uh, right now, I'm in the season of just trying to read the stupid news <laughs> and keep up because there's so much that happens every day. Oh, look, yeah, I'm right there with you. And so right now I need to remind everyone to sign up for the $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill. And I'll make sure to have a link in the show notes to make it easier to enter. Also, I can't go any further without mentioning my wonderful sponsor. As the relentless protector of those that power the world, Bulwark is the leader, not to mention the largest manufacturer of flame-resistant clothing globally. So once you've signed up for that steak dinner, be sure to check out rest of Bulwark's website to learn more. So thank you again for joining me, Ryan. If people want to reach out to you or want to know more about your podcast and our Square Global, how can they go about doing that? Well, I reserve three hours for this. Are we done? <laughs> well, you got the massage, man. I got the, I did. Okay. You know what? I didn't count that as part of the time. I didn't get that as part of the time. Yeah. So the best way if you're, you know, if you want to connect with me, it would be LinkedIn probably because that's the only spot I only talk about oil and gas. You know, I have a lot of other things that I got my hands in. And so if you get on Twitter at Ryan Senior, 
It's more sports. It's, it's, yeah, there's sports. You know, there is some oil and gas stuff there. I have a lot of interest, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, but LinkedIn would be the only thing that would be generally oil and gas or energy related. Um, you can just, Ryan Ray Sr., SR, you can find me on LinkedIn. would be the best spot for stuff like that. If you want to do the live stream at Texas Oil and Gas Podcast on Instagram, if that's your type of thing. Okay, perfect. All right, so that concludes this episode. Just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.